On this edition of the Good Morning Hamilton podcast with Scott Radley in for Rick Zamperin, we are talking about Hamilton Day. What is Hamilton Day? That's why you're listening. We're going to be talking about Haiti and what is going on in Haiti. It is not good right now. A local woman who is just back after a humanitarian mission, we'll talk about that one. The Ticats, Hallmark Christmas movies... Corner Gas, Brent Butt joins us, the star of Corner Gas, Fantastic, the Hamilton Bulldogs, many other things. It is a jam-packed Good Morning Hamilton podcast. Clear the rest of your schedule, grab a coffee, stick around. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Good Morning Hamilton. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what Hamilton Day is? I'll give you a hint. It is not anything to do with Bermuda. It is nothing to do with a Broadway production. It is about us. And someone who can explain why it's about us is Keenan Loomis, who is the president and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, who joins us now. Keenan, thanks for doing this today. Yeah, thanks, Scott, for having me on. What is Hamilton Day? Because I don't think anyone in the last nearly century has heard about this. What is this? Yes, you you would have to be in your 90s to uh, remember the very first Hamilton Day. We at the Hamilton Chamber are taking a page out of the uh, the playbook from 90 years ago. Um, our institution created Hamilton Day in October of uh, 1931 to quote unquote uh, banish that tiresome word depression. And uh, as we know, they were uh, in the grips that they were just at the beginning. They did not know that. We know that now. Hmm. Um, but uh, they decided um, to, to focus on one day to get people to just spend their money um, and do so locally. Obviously, you, you know, you had limited choices uh, back then. And so it was pretty much all local. But uh, it was apparently, by all accounts, a uh, really uh, great day um, with uh, lots of foot traffic in downtown and our other commercial districts. And in the, so what we, we read this in the, the Spectator. Um, you know how they've been doing a lot of uh, historical uh, snippets uh, for, to celebrate their 175th. And we read that and we thought, wouldn't that be cool to, to do something uh, this year? Because, you know, we're, we're facing similar challenges. Hopefully we're, we're at the end of it, not just the beginning of it like they were. But um, wood, wood, we is thought, be, uh, wood is being touched as you talk right now, by the way, and fingers are being crossed. Yes. just <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, but... Um, yeah, we thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity if, if we, if all the, you know, everything came together uh, right. And it did. The, the federal government, uh, as it happens, um, has funded these shop local, local uh, projects uh, throughout Ontario to be distributed through the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. And when they did this call for proposals in uh, the beginning of summer, we knew exactly what we wanted to do, which was reprise Hamilton Day for uh, 2021 to banish that tiresome word pandemic. Well, and so uh, we get to do that. Uh, thankfully, uh, we got the support of the federal government and the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, and it is November 20th, and uh, we have the support as well and, and um, the, the buy-in of our sister chambers of commerce in uh, Flamborough and Stony Creek, all of the BIAs as well, and everybody's really excited to go all in on uh, one incredible shop local day that to kick off the the holiday shopping season and and we hope that it's uh it's just a matter of uh you know establishing good habits uh for this holiday season mm-hmm. uh and we want people to get out there um and uh and to support local not just on November 20th uh but uh, all through the whole holiday season 
somebody, when I had mentioned that we were going to be talking about this, said, well, why have we not done it since 1931? And if I'm reading between <laughs> the lines, the answer is because nobody knew about it. I mean, is that fair? That's right. Yeah, no, uh, nobody knew about it. And it, like I said, it was it was when the spec highlighted this. Um, and we were in the midst of it. This was last year. Um, I read it. We all read it. It's, we had all read it separately in the in the office, and and then uh, we came in on Monday morning. And we we're like, "Did you see this?" Um, and it was it was really cool. Um, and so we thought, like I said, that uh, that would be a great uh, thing for us to do uh, this year. Uh, you know, especially these businesses. Uh, you know, your your small uh, retail stores, your hospitality, uh, the restaurants, and all of that. Um, they have been absolutely beleaguered um, during this pandemic. They're the ones that have bore the the brunt of the of the burden. All the regulations have been about, you know, preventing um, them from being able to, uh, to to serve their customers at capacity. And so we thought uh, it was really important to to make sure that people are really focused on that and, and really understanding these are the these are the businesses, Scott, that you know, that really form the the fabric of our community. Because these are the businesses that make us different than London, make mm, us different sure. than Kitchener, make us different than Toronto. You think about all those businesses that only exist here in Hamilton, um, and, and and they have, as I said, been beleaguered. And you know, we need to show them some love to make sure that they get through the end of this pandemic, so that they continue to be the cultural fabric of our uh, of our of our commercial districts. I think that there's probably not a single person listening that doesn't agree with you on that point. <laughs> but I'll throw a but in there because I think there probably okay. is one. How, there are a lot of people also who, not just the people who own these stores, who have had a hard time, who have had tough financial times in the in this pandemic. So how do you convince people that they should put their money to the local stores, even if they believe in them, rather than possibly saving money because it can be cheaper to buy big box or buy Amazon or something? How do you convince them to put their money where their mouth is to show it when things might be tight for them? It's because a dollar spent here locally comes back to you in it, 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 it's you know it's just math obviously right um you if you spend local that money will then get recycled through the economy locally as well when you are spending money uh at amazon or online um you know you that money will not be coming back here uh into the local economy um so it's it's good for the economy when you when you go out for dinner you know, yes, uh, you know, you, you're maybe laying out a hundred bucks. I, I, a family of five, it's not a hundred dollars anymore. No, uh, it's, you know, but I know that that money is going to support uh, local workers uh, and local business owners, and uh, that certainly gives me a lot of pride. It is November the twentieth, and uh, we got to go, unfortunately. But Keenan, I would be guessing that it probably will not be another ninety years after this year before we have Hamilton Day again. I'm guessing this might be the first one again. Of a I number. Think, I think we're going to get, yeah, no, we, the BIAs are so excited. I think we're going to, hopefully we can do this on an annual basis. Keenan Loomis, in charge of Hamilton's Chamber of Commerce. Really appreciate it, and good luck on the 20th. And I know we'll be reminded oh. before then, but uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, no, thanks for helping us promote it. Hamilton Day on November 20. Make a little note in your calendar there and uh, go out and spend your money. You're going to spend it somewhere for Christmas. May as well spend it here. That is Keenan Loomis. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Saturday afternoon down at Tim Hortons Field, the Hamilton Tiger Cats will be hosting the Ottawa Red Blacks, 4 o'clock at the field. 
And as you probably know, if you've been paying attention recently, the Ticats and other teams can now offer a full house. They can now sell all the tickets they want. I want to bring in Matt Afnek, who's the president and COO of the Ticats. Matt, how are you today? I'm great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for doing this. I, I, as I've been w- looking at this, I've been wondering how easy, I mean, when the government says you can now sell all the seats that you have, I wonder if it's as easy as just saying, great, all the seats are on sale, or if there's a little more to pivoting towards those full houses again. Well, you know, in, in, in COVID times, nothing's ever easy. So, uh, you know, we, we adjust accordingly. But uh, yeah, listen, we've, uh, we've seen amazing response um, from our fans. We're expecting uh, a huge crowd on, on Saturday. But yeah, it's not just as simple as you put the tickets online and, and off you go. Obviously, there's been a, a requirement for, you know, kind of a reconditioning in our case playing the first few games under capacity restriction we didn't have any tickets available to the general public because all that was available uh was taken up by our our season seat holders and then kind of the next phase our our kind of partial season seat holders took took the rest of that inventory so there's a bit of a re-education for us that there are tickets available um but you know we always do and our fans seem to love these kind of fall afternoon games so knowing we have one of those saturdays we're saturday sorry uh, respecting a, a huge crowd on Saturday. And the part of the reason I asked that is because it's not just you. I mean, there have been, it's been noted that like the Leafs that sell out every game and the Montreal Canadiens that sell out every game have had seats available. Now that we're back into this full, everything can be there. And I, I wondered what you said about the reconditioning. You wonder if it's going to take some time for people to get back onto that, where they say, you know, I can now go and do this. Yeah, and, and I think being totally objective, Scott, like, you know, as much as the sports properties as professionals have put every measure in place because health and safety trumps everything, right, from attendees need to be fully vaccinated, you know, to, to, to social distance policies where we can have them, to wearing masks in the venue, you know, we're, we're still in a pandemic environment, and I don't know what percentage of the population, um, you know, perhaps wants to take a wait-and-see approach with returning to crowds whether it's a tie cat game a leaf game or a movie theater i think there's probably being objective uh, an element there but in our case we've we've done everything we can to ensure um safety of people and i think the the crowd sizes reflect that but you know no doubt when you go away for a period of time you know 12 18 months uh, it's going to take a little bit of time to recondition the marketplace, especially the casual marketplace. So for those who do come on Saturday, should they be expecting, and if they haven't been for a while, should they be expecting anything different? I mean, there's obviously got to be protocols in place. What 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 will happen when you come down to the game if it's a full house? What are they? What should they expect? Yeah, and it, the protocols are really no different, whether it's 15,000, 75% or the full crowd. So obviously we, uh, we check vaccination status and double vaccination status is a requirement to attend the game. Uh, so that happens, obviously, on, on entrance point um, at the gates. And then you follow the regular kind of uh, security protocol from there, from ticket checking to, to security uh, scanning. So, you know, what we've done, I think, to accommodate uh, is we're encouraging everyone to get down early, Scott, that uh, the gates open 90 minutes before, uh, which in non-COVID times, we, we typically open the whole venue only 60 minutes before. So we've gone 90 minutes for the entire venue. And, you know, there's some great stuff going on from $5 beers to food specials to retail specials. So all sorts of reasons um, to get down early, not the least of which is just the convenience um, of actually getting into the building. There's there's always going to be a crush of people that want to show up 15 minutes before kickoff. And we do our best to manage through that as efficiently and quickly as possible. But the best way to get in hassle-free is, is to get there early. And, and we're trying to provide you know entertainment and, and benefit to do that by opening the gates early and offering some promotions. 
got a couple of minutes here, and I just wanted to uh, jump not just to Saturday's game, but it's Tuesday that your Grey Cup tickets go on sale, correct? Yeah, next week's a, a huge week for us in, a, in, in you know, kind of not directly tie-cat capacity. So Tuesday, 10 a.m., uh, the remaining Grey Cup seats go on sale um, uh, to the general public. So up till now, they've been on sale only to tie-cat season seat holders, and this past week, the season seat holders of the other eight clubs. The demand has been uh, has been awesome. So we're encouraging anyone that wants to get Grey Cup seats uh, to log on right at 10 a.m. on uh, on Tuesday morning, the 26th. And then obviously t- Wednesday night, uh, pivoting to to our other uh, team here in Hamilton in terms of uh, Tim Hortons Field, the Forge, uh, Forge FC plays CF Montreal, uh, the MLS club, uh, in the semifinal of the Canadian Championship. So we're very excited about that. It's a big match. Um, and the winner moves on to the Canadian Championship final. So to have Forge playing an MLS team at Tim Hortons Field is something we're really excited about as well. So big week for us next week. I went on Ticketmaster because on your website there is a link to go to find Grey Cup tickets and I clicked on it. took me to Ticketmaster for the pre-sale. I'll tell you what, something that may make Grey, or may make uh, CFL fans and Ticat fans optimistic, one of the groups that's eligible to buy pre-sale tickets for the Grey Cup was the Atlantic Schooners pre-sale. And I looked and I went, yes. alright, well I guess maybe that's going to be a thing. Well, listen, Scott, you've been around sports a long time. I'm not sure there's a team that actually doesn't have a team, right, that has yeah. as great a following as the Atlantic Schooners. Like, it's it's actually truly a cultural phenomenon. So uh, they throw a great event at uh, at Grey Cup, and, uh, you know, they're they're hugely supportive. So to give them a presale, uh, it's the least we can do for the great people of the Atlantic provinces. When will we find out who is going to be the halftime show? Lots of debate about this. When will that kind of information be available? Yeah, well, we're uh, we're working diligently. The the, the halftime show uh, is is uh, really led by the CFL office. Obviously, us as the host uh, play a, a role in helping facilitate that. But uh, ultimately, that decision is made out of CFL headquarters. And uh, I'm not going to spill any beans, but I will tell you and all the listeners that they're going to be very excited when uh, this gets announced. And we're hopeful, you know, in the next couple of weeks, max. Uh, this will be announced and, and made available to the public. So just got to stand by a little bit longer on that one. Can you confirm one thing, though? It will not be a repeat of 96. It will not be the Nylons doing the halftime show. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we looked, we, we looked into it, Scott. They're, they're, they're booked that weekend, unfortunately. So uh, the Nylons can't make it, so we'll have to raise the bar a little bit uh, for, for 2021. <laughs> Matt Affinick, President and COO of the Ticats. Really appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, I appreciate the time, Scott. Have a great weekend. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is the beginning of, ready? Hallmark Christmas movie season. Number one of 41 new Hallmark Christmas movies launches today in October. And this one, I got to tell you, this one, the one they're kicking off with today just to completely throw everything into a blender, it's called You, Me, and the Christmas Trees. It stars Danica McKellar and Jason Hervey. And if you're thinking, wait, I know those names. Yeah, Danica McKellar was Winnie on The Wonder Years. Jason Hervey was also on The Wonder Years, but he wasn't Kevin, who was the love interest of Winnie then. He was the older brother, right? It's, it's just, it's, it's it, I don't know what it is. But it's it's Hallmark Christmas movie season. That's what it is. Let me bring in bring in Bill Briu. He is a great TV critic, great TV writer. Bill, I um I don't even know what to say to the Hallmark Christmas movie phenomenon. It has eclipsed my ability to understand. Well, it's it's all about bringing lightness in dark times. I think, and Hallmark has made 
millions on this formula. And uh, even more jarring than watching these movies in October is that they shoot them in, you know, May and June in Hamilton or Sudbury or Vancouver. Um, You know, about 70 Hallmark movies a year are shot in Canada. I've been on the set of some of these, and they they shot one in Ancaster a few years ago. I remember that the crew is rolling out cotton bat and snow and hanging (laughs) wreaths, and these actors are wearing these heavy wool coats and sweaters, and the and the crew is standing there in shorts and t-shirts because it's it's ninety degrees out. Like you know, so they they have to uh, make them in order to have them ready for October. Well, and you use the word formula, and I think that's you know they may bristle at that, but I, I think it's I think formula is a pretty fair word. I think that most people who have seen three of these at least, could probably break down the formula. You've got a high-powered woman executive who returns to her hometown to take care of some business at home and gets locked in because of a blizzard so she can't fly out and bumps into her former high school boyfriend who now runs the local Christmas tree farm, and they meet on the skating rink during the lighting of the town's Christmas tree and fall in love, and she decides to quit her job and move home or something along those lines. Every time. Wow, you, you should get that pitch and go straight to Hallmark. I, that, well, they don't need my pitch. Movies. They don't mind. They've 40, got that. <laughs> you know, you're right. Or, or else, you know, it's, it's a, uh, or she, yeah, it's all about female empowerment. And um, if uh, she, she runs her own shop, um, yeah, there's a snowstorm and a lumberjack walks <laughs> in and, and gets stuck there and they're snowed in overnight. Yeah, that's the formula for sure. And, oh, of course, we left out the part. She quits her job at the end to stay there and opens a bookstore on the main street that also yeah. has a little coffee, a cafe in it. And, yes, and then we've got a Hallmark Christmas movie. But what what I don't get, Bill, about this is there's lots of formulaic things and franchises and stuff on different stations. Why has this one in particular worked so well? Really, it's it's as simple as um, t- telling uh, happier stories, warm and fuzzy stories, when times aren't so warm and fuzzy. You know, it's been uh, a rough 10 years, and, and uh, especially through COVID and everything lately, um, people need just to fall in love with something. And I think that Hallmark serves that on a platter for a lot of viewers who live for these things. And you know, it used to be years ago, ABC, NBC, CBS would make the movie of the week. Yeah. They'd pump on all these films. They do none of that now. So it's up to Hallmark. And they, as you say, they've got 41 new Christmas-themed movies from now through the end of the year. Um, they shoot many, many more because they do show them in July as well. And uh, people just love them. And we what we say, why are you starting showing them in October? You've got 41, and we're not even counting the reruns. I mean, they could. we're at the point now where, and I'm not being overstating this, they could probably almost start running these 12, 14 hours a day right through till Christmas. Oh, the, the schedules are packed. I mean, these are 41 new ones, but they're also showing, you know, at least that many that are just two or three years old. And it's a, it's a bonanza for Canadian actors because, as you say, you know, tonight you've got Yumi and the Christmas tree, that's directed by a Canadian, David Winning, who's done about 30 of these. He's from Calgary. Uh, he shoots them in eight or nine days, which is like <laughs> the schedule of a TV show, one episode. Uh, you know, so he can really crank them out. Uh, but it also stars a lot of Canadians. You've got Danica McKellar and Jason Hervey from Wonder Years, as you mentioned. But the guy is Benjamin Ayers in this one, who's Canadian. Paul Campbell, Luke McFarlane, Brendan Penny. 
these are Canadians who do two of these a year. So they make a pretty good living making Hallmark movies in their home country uh, that are shown all over North America. And, and tomorrow there's one on that stars uh, Paul Sun Young Lee, who was from Kim's Convenience, the, the, the father. I mean, so you, you watch these things, and what's hilarious about it is people are popping up, and, and it's almost a game now to go, where do I know that person from? I know I know that person. Where are they from? Yeah, it, it's amazing. Uh, when I was going out to L.A. with other TV critics who would have the TCA, Television Critics Association, Hallmark would get the biggest tents they could put up on the grounds of the uh, football, college football hall of fame, and they would have this giant banquet, and they would all, all the talent, they would fly in. And uh, there were more Canadians in that tent than there were in Canada. Like it was, it was crazy how many people were airlifted. But you're right; you would see people you sort of recognized or remembered because Hallmark, you know, Danica McKellar is a good example from Wonder Years. But a lot of Lacey Chabert uh, from Party of Five, like there are actors that are were popular 20 years ago. And they have a whole new career now, thanks to Hallmark. A whole new career of love. Bill Breu, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. Anytime. Uh, While we're uh, wrapping this one, our Twitter poll question today is about this. Hallmark Christmas movie season begins tonight, beginning of 41 Hallmark Christmas movies. Does this make this the most wonderful time of the year, or is it way too early? Cast your vote on Twitter, 900CHML Twitter. You can do that there. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900CHML. I am excited to talk to our next guest. He is the guy behind one of, truly, one of the most successful, one of the most beloved, one of the funniest Canadian shows on TV ever, which unfortunately is wrapping up after 17 years. November 1st will be the series finale of Corner Gas Animated. Brent Butt joins us this morning. Brent, how are you today? I'm good. I'm up and super sharp. Are you? Even, even this time of day? Because I know it's early for you guys. I mean, you comedians, yeah, you live, I live the night here life. here on the West Coast, so it's, uh, it's a little after 5 a.m., but I'm super sharp. I, I like to get up and start the day with an 11 or 12K run. I've done that. <laughs> yeah, is that right, eh? <laughs> What, why, I mean, I'm looking at the list of all the things that, that Corner Gas has brought about, the show, the movies, the, the animated series, the books, the DVDs, the tours, everything. Why give it all up after 17 years? Why not just live it out as long as you possibly can? Well, it wasn't my decision, Scott. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would have been happy to do a few more seasons. But, uh, I mean, you know, it, at a certain point, it kind of becomes diminishing returns. Look, we had we did 107 episodes of the live action show. We did a feature film. We've done almost 50 episodes of the animated now. So at a certain point, and, you know, you, creative people, you, you, you want to create things. So at a certain all good things come to an end. And when I, I tell you, when I started this, I didn't even think. I, when I first wrote the treatment for a show about a gas station in Saskatchewan, I just shelved it because I thought nobody's ever going to want to buy that. <laughs> and then when it did get bought, we thought, well, okay, we'll do one season and nobody will watch and we'll all go our separate ways. And here we are talking 17 or so years later. Pretty good for a guy who started as a drywaller. I, I don't know if I started as a drywaller. <laughs> that was in there somewhere, though. I was I was exactly as good at drywalling as you would imagine I would be. <laughs> 
Okay. So, <laughs> so comedy was a wise choice then. What, but Brent, what you can't, I'm guessing that you probably now cannot walk down a street in Saskatchewan, maybe Alberta, I don't know, without being recognized and stopped and people want to take pictures and talk about this. I mean, it has, you have become the guy out there. Toronto is probably the place, that we, all the cast we've talked about this, Toronto is probably the place where we get recognized the most. Really? It's, yeah, Toronto has a very high television viewership, and our numbers were always really high in Toronto. And um, that's probably the place where we get recognized the most. But yeah, the show did really well across the country. That's why the ratings were high. Like in this country, you can't get good ratings if you just do well in a pocket. There aren't enough people. So, you know, we, we were winning demographics uh, geographically across the country and from age two up. So, um, yeah, the, the response from fans has been uh, amazing. And even, even though the live action show has been off the air since 2009, um, we still get recognized uh, all the time. It's, it's very gratifying. And how many of those stop you and say, hey, aren't you the coroner from an episode of The X-Files? Yeah, that's that's really what I'm known for most. Aren't you the hotel clerk from the movie Duets? I get that a lot. I'm sure. I'm sure, but no, it is it, it's what I'm really what I wonder about when you do this though for this long, I think for any character, I'm guessing that somehow some of you gets infused into the character and probably some of that character gets well, you sort of absorb a little bit of it too. How do you untangle yourself from the character now after all this time? Well, I think that's true for a lot of actors. For me, it's very easy because I didn't know going into this, I wasn't super confident in my acting ability. And I always thought, you know, the the show is kind of based on the premise of what would my life be like if I hadn't pursued comedy? Uh, I thought I'd probably just be hanging out of my hometown running the gas station. And so this character of Brent Leroy is very, very like me. I thought the smart move here is make him very like me that way. I increase my chances of looking like I know what I'm doing when I'm acting. And the brilliant right? so, and the brilliant really, move was to name yourself the same as the character so nobody gets confused and they call you by your right name every time. Yeah, keep it simple, you know. And and the character's last name Leroy is my middle name. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. so perfect. Perfect. Brent, tell me this, there was a time and, and I I don't I don't think I'm being insulting. I think I'm being very honest. There was a time when Canadian sitcoms were not exactly all at the top of the game. Let's put it that way. But it's changed. There's been a lot, starting with yours, and there have been other ones. What has changed in Canadian television and Canadian sitcoms that has allowed for the quality to get much, much better? Well, I think uh, broadcasters are taking a chance uh, now. Like one of the things, when I was first got into comedy and was coming up in the business, I always heard people say, well, we can't do Canadian sitcoms. And it always drove me crazy. I was like, why, why are you saying we can't? I know we don't do them very often and we don't have a long, glorious track record, but that doesn't mean we can't do them. And um, so it was very satisfying and gratifying to me because Corner Gas was the first time in the history of television that the number one show, the number one comedy on Canadian TV was actually from Canada. It's the only time it's ever happened. And so... Mark McKinney from Kids in the Hall, yep. I saw him in an interview. He said that Canadian TV will always be uh, dissected into before Corner Gas and after Corner Gas because the the viewership, the, the people that watched Corner Gas, it made broadcasters start taking meetings. I know I had people come up to me, um, comedians and uh, producers say, you know, we, we couldn't get a, a meeting for our sitcom with any broadcasters until Corner Gas came along. So if that's the legacy of Corner Gas, if we 
if we open some doors, I will be uh, very proud. It'll it will have been all worthwhile. I think it's more than just opening a few doors. I think there's an awful lot of people. I know there's an awful lot of people who have laughed a lot because of what you've done over the time, and uh, and they're appreciative of that. And hopefully this is not, I mean, hopefully you're going, I don't know, more TV or back on the circuit or whatever it is, but that, you know, that Brent Butt doesn't sort of just fade in. You're not going to do that, right? You're still going to be out there doing stuff. No, I'm hitting the road. Yeah, I'm doing Perfect. a run of stand-up shows through uh, Ontario in January. And uh, so people can always go to my website, brentbutt.com. You'll see the list of shows. So January, Ontario stand-up. And I'm, I just wrote my first novel. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm... I'm busy doing it. Excellent. Brent, by the uh, season f- uh, series finale, Monday, November the 1st, 8 p.m., Corner Gas Animated. Brent, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Nice talking to you. You as well. That is uh, the great Brent, but one of the funniest guys in Canada, and I've sh- created a show and acted in a show that has been one of the most successful ever in Canadian television. Fantastic stuff. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Good news, the Hamilton Bulldogs are off to a fantastic start this year. They lost last night, first loss of the year, but they're 4-1, look great. Uh, The bad news story, the Montreal Canadiens, not quite so good to start the year, 0-5. And the guy who's in the middle of this vortex is the owner of the Bulldogs, who is also part owner of the the Montreal Canadiens. Michael Anlauer, uh, you got to be living like this, this, this life of not knowing whether you're supposed to be delighted or mortified. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's part of being passionate about uh, about things, uh, Scott. And, and uh, yeah, last night was not a uh, not not a particularly good <laughs> night. Um, even though I got to say, they, thank thank God that uh, that the the uh, these young bulldogs are uh, uh, such a breath of fresh air and and uh, so much fun to watch and and just to be around. To be honest with you, it's uh, it's been a long time coming. Obviously, with with, with no OHL last year and and uh but we did have our fun uh, at the big the big league level uh with the Canadians making it to the finals last year so uh, you know there's no doubt there's ebb and flows in in uh, when you were following a team and for all of you Toronto Maple Leaf fans you know what I'm talking about <laughs> no no they don't no, <laughs> no they don't there's been, there's been ebbs but no flows or something like that uh, it's been a long time i mean yeah. did you know because there was no OHL last year and we talked with Steve Steos about this the president of the team did you have any idea what kind of team you were going to have this year, or did you show up and say, you know what, we haven't seen hockey for years. We've gotten two rookie classes coming in at the same time. I don't know what we got. And, and, and I think, I, I think it's, there's still a big question mark within the league. Um, uh, it's so funny. We went under the radar, and all of a sudden we, were, uh, uh, we got the news on Wednesday that we were ranked seventh in the country. Um, you know that it, there's, and then last year trying to draft uh, when you really haven't seen anybody, and you you know you ask people to come in and practice, and you know not really a game situation, and then you get these kids that grow six inches uh, or don't to the other, yeah, or, or don't. don't, yeah, yeah, good point. Um, I grew six inches through COVID, but it was also the worst. <laughs> it was the wrong way. Um, <laughs> But you know, so so it's, it is a bit of a crapshoot. But you you know, we have we have uh, we have scouts all over Ontario uh, who have, who I guess we have to give credit for. Uh, you know, who who worked hard uh, regardless of that there was no hockey last last year, and and uh, um, and we felt really good after our draft uh, this year, and and then. Uh, Coming into the season, uh, you know the ones we did draft, we kept in contact with throughout last year. 
particularly with on training, how they're doing uh, mentally and physically, and and try to give some guidance and and uh, and the support, right? I mean, that's it's all about uh, when you're at that stage. Uh, it's about the support, and we work hard at that, uh, you know, uh, to make sure from from the education advisors to the billets, uh, and you know, we have. Uh, we, like you mentioned Steve Steele is probably the most passionate person I know, um, uh, and um, it, you know um, it shows. And um, um, yeah, so uh, it, it it is a bit of a crapshoot. But uh, so far, I, I really like. I just love the attitude of these young men. They they've really checked their egos at the door. Uh, well, and they're thrilled uh, to be back. Let's be honest. I mean, they haven't played, so they're really uh, they're happy to be playing hockey again. Uh, Michael, right, let me jump it. in because we, we've got limited time, and there's a couple of things as owner I want to ask you about specifically um, on the more of the business side or the event side. You've made it clear, you've made it public that when the Leafs have their outdoor game with the Sabers in March, that you, the Bulldogs, might be interested in jumping on board and also having an outdoor game. Any advancement on that? Any news on whether that looks more likely to happen, less likely to happen, anything? Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, it's going to be the 10th anniversary of our first outdoor game in Hamilton. Right. Um, and uh, we had in 2012. And uh, yes, we've uh, I've had discussions. Uh, it's an NHL-run event um, uh, where they buy the team, buy the game. Uh, in this case, it's off the Buffalo Sabres. They're the home team, so they buy the they buy the and then they they promote the game and sell the game. Um, uh, so and, and uh, in conjunction, the the the, uh, the Ty Cats or Hamilton Sports Entertainment or uh, you know uh, basically lease them the the stadium uh, and um, um, and. Uh, well, I've had conversations of obviously that our our uh, our OHL uh, uh, president uh, commissioner No David Branch um, talked to the NHL and it's just a matter of logistics really. Okay. Um, but uh, I feel good about you know promoting hockey in Hamilton, having uh, just like we did in in um, uh, in 2012. Um, you know, there's, there'll probably be a, uh, there's obviously going to be a schedule change, um, but it's really up to the NHL to dictate uh, when. So uh, yeah, so fingers so crossed, fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, so we'll have to have the really long range forecast mm. for uh, for March 13th weather. Or, well, yeah. I guess that's what the other. <laughs> well, let's go even longer uh, we range. Lucky, we were lucky the first time around for sure. Let's go even longer range for the time we have left. We got about 30 or 40 seconds here. Um, okay. Several years ago, you bid you bidded for the Memorial Cup. You made a bid for the Memorial Cup. That didn't happen, and the point that was made by the OHL and the group was First Ontario Center was not up to it. There, that arena is being redone, renovated. Does that mean you will be sometime in the near future putting in another bid for another Memorial Cup? Oh, absolutely. Any, any way, any time we can, we can have an opportunity to, to promote the game or promote the city. Uh, we, we uh, you know, or the region. It's, it to me, it's, it's, uh, it's an, it's a no-brainer. Uh, it's a lot of effort for our staff because, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's always worth it, just like it was in 2012 when we did that outdoor game. Wish we had a lot more time. Michael Andlauer, owner of the high-flying Hamilton Bulldogs and, and soon-to-be-improving Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing day. this. Have a great weekend. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you've been following the news at all for recent weeks, you probably know of some things that have been happening in Haiti, specifically 
There has been a kidnapping of 17 missionaries from Canada and the States down there doing volunteer work. Uh, the kidnappers apparently now asking for $17 million for their freedom, but that's just the, the tip of an iceberg down there of some troubles that are happening. Serena Buffalino is the CEO and founder of Help Heal Humanity. She has just been down in Haiti on a humanitarian aid mission, and she wrote this about what was going on there. There's a quote, the conditions in Haiti are beyond extreme and beyond crisis. That is, that's pretty daunting. Serena joins us now. Serena, thanks for taking some time today. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, that, that description, and I mean, you wrote an awful lot more in your explanation of a report of what was happening, but that, that sounds horrendous. What What is going on that would lead to a description like that? Um, well, yes, the, the true reality in Haiti right now is exactly, as I said, beyond crises and um, extremely dangerous and very, very intense. So um, I originally had gone to Haiti um, in 2010 after the earthquake. So I'm familiar with the first earthquake and the aftermath of that. Um, as Help Heal Humanity has projects in Haiti, when the earthquake happened, uh, we set up actually here in Hamilton, we uh, set up an emergency relief aid and a significant amount of funds came in and uh, I took it upon myself to go down on uh, represent Help Heal Humanity with our team down there. And again, from the moment I got off the plane, I knew this was different than the first earthquake. This was different than um, the four years I spent in Haiti building a school and the years after running school programs. Um, because even our immediate team, um, Red Cross, UN, all the big organizations um, were having difficulty going to give relief. Um, and so I knew that we were putting ourselves in danger, but I also knew that we needed to do the good work. And um, we jumped in a car and again, getting a car, which would seem to be an, an easy thing to do straight out of the uh, airport, took hours and hours of negotiating. <laughs> And then when we took off um, to start our mission, finding the supplies and the resources, again, as somebody who has spent an uh, awful lot of time in Haiti, knows it's already difficult to navigate in that city and in that country, but it was next to impossible. Um, finding earthquake relief items um, was extremely difficult, and that's all related to the gangs. Um, Explain and, this. Explain this, because I, as I understand, now we know that the president was assassinated. Uh, that's yes. probably connected, but there are now a number of gangs who are essentially carving out their turf and trying to run things, correct? Exactly. So this is exactly what is happening. And um, since the assassination of the president, which was um, just over six months ago, this is when things have gotten beyond extreme. And I'm talking to all my reliable sources in Haiti, all, you know, all the other CEOs and founders, all the other businesses and thriving companies. And they said, no, this is the worst because now the president and the people that were elected in parties, they have no say, they have no control. The gangs, the gangs, sorry, have taken over the entire country, specifically in Port-au-Prince. There are 10 major gangs and five of the toughest of them are in Port-au-Prince and they are preventing any type of help relief. And so the security in Haiti is at 
the worst it's ever been. Meaning not even Haitians can walk down their street safely, can walk down yeah. their neighborhood safely. I was going to ask that, if this was just a thing for foreigners who were coming to help or if even the locals are in danger because of what's happening. They And that's what the massive cry for help right now is the locals need proper security so that even the locals can walk down their street safely and they cannot. So this is the number one problem in Haiti right now is security. And again, this even relates back to people and org organizations and charities trying to go and offer relief. Help Heal Humanity is a very grassroots charity. We're very small. Like you said, we are local. You know, we have a team of you know, five people on our board and maybe, you know, 20 volunteers helping us. And when we arrived in Haiti again, um, and we took the challenge of driving a vehicle up to Jeremy where the earthquake hit, that in itself was an extreme move, mm. a very extreme move. Were you scared? And Did you think you might be in danger? I'm always in flight and fo flight and uh, <laughs> flight mode in Haiti, but you know, after this many years, it's 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 a no brainer to me. I know the work that we are doing is imperative and I am a sensitive being. I rely on senses and energy more than anything else. And so to be able to be as successful as Help Heal Humanity has been in the communities that we serve, which again is the hardest communities in Haiti where Haitians won't even go into the areas we go into, I know very, very, very well the conditions I'm putting myself and the team in. We're all aware and we're all committed to the good work, knowing that somehow the way we operate in Haiti is very different than other people. And mm. this is why we get away with the work that we do up till now. Serena, we and, only have about 30 seconds. And I just, I, I didn't want to cut you off, but I just very quickly, I want to get this in because it's really important. Can you, or were you able, because there were uh, donations and things, are you still able to get those to the people or do they get picked off by the gangs before you can donate things? No, that's the one amazing thing about HHH is that we have hands on the ground. When we were there, we gave out the tents, we gave out the tarps, we gave out the food. We are on the grounds and we still have our emergency relief. We are working on a shipping container that is actually going from Toronto to Haiti in three weeks from now, in which our team, we have all the logistics set up. Our team, the police, the ports will be there receiving our containers and our team will go on the grounds every day and put it in the hands of people. So there are no middlemen and we do know who some of the bad people are and we also have to work with them in order to be successful. If people want to donate or something, what's your website? 100% helphealhumanity.org. Serena Buffalino, CEO and founder of Help Heal Humanity. Really appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thanks for this. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.